السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام على بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم صلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد الفاتح لما أغلق والخاتم لما سبق ناصر الحق بالحق والهادي إلى صراطك المستقيم وعلى آله وصحبه حق قدره ومقداره العظيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي Alhamdulillah. So this is session number three, where we are beginning to uh, flow through the, the streams and the channels of reflection. And now, uh, Al-Imam Al-Ghazali, radiallahu anhu, is really going to show us examples of ways that we can reflect. So in this session, we're going to reflect on the creation of the human being. And there is a long section, and essentially what we'll do, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, is just read Imam al-Ghazali's kind of extensive uh, nuance in his reflection. And it goes to show, you know, his, his degree of intellect and how intellect in this sense is something very, very much the, uh, praiseworthy, but it shows how much he's thought about these things and how any one of us who wants to be uh, people of realization, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all people of realization fi khayr wa that we have to also uh, go down this path. And we have to get on the boat and go down the channel and the stream. Naam. So before we get into these channels of reflection, I just wanted to reiterate a point that was mentioned earlier. And this is uh, the section right before uh, Imam al-Ghazali's section on how to reflect upon what Allah Most High has created. So he says, the customary way to look at sunlight, we talked about reflecting on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's that is like looking straight at the sun. You cannot, uh, uh, you cannot handle, you cannot withstand that. So he says, the customary way to look at sunlight is to position a basin of water so the sun can be seen reflected in it and one can look at it. Thus, the water becomes the means of averting the eyes slightly from the sun's light in such a manner that one's eyesight can withstand it. Likewise, divine actions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's af'al, his actions are the medium by where we can see the attributes of the actor, where we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes. And the light of the essence will not dazzle us once we have distanced ourselves from it through the medium of the actions. Right? Now this is just the language that Imam al-Ghazali is using to help us understand. This is the secret of the Prophet's words, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, reflect upon Allah's creation, but do not reflect on the essence of Allah Most High. So then Imam al-Ghazali begins. So essentially I'm just going to read Imam al-Ghazali and uh, we should all just open our hearts, like Shaykh Yahya was saying at the end of the previous session, to just have some time to sit there and reflect. 
Uh, and really, that's a, a very powerful form of reflection that he uh, recommended for us uh, and opened up for us. So let's keep that momentum going. And if it's easier for you to close your eyes, this isn't so much about taking notes, but really thinking. Right, so if you want to close your eyes, whatever you decide to do, uh, it's going to require some focus. So he says, know that all that exists apart from Allah Most High represents Allah's action and creation. And every atom there is, and everything that exists from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, contains wonders and marvels in which Allah's wisdom, omnipotence, majesty, and immensity are manifested. To enumerate all of that is not possible, but we shall point out some categories of them to serve as examples for the rest. So he's giving us practice, and then you can apply it to everything else in, your, in, in existence that you can see, and even beyond. Uh, Naam. We say that created entities fall into the following categories. Firstly, there are those whose origin is not known. So then Imam al-Ghazali talks about there are so many things within Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. The angels, the jinn, the hereafter. He says, but let us start at the level of those things that we can perceive by our senses. We're not even talking about insight. We're not talking about basira and spiritual illumination. Okay? So he says, let us then pass on from those things that are higher, the throne and the, the arsh and the kursi and so forth, to that which is closer to our power of understanding, that is to say, what is perceptible by eyesight, the seven heavens and the earth, and what lies between the two of them. So he talks about the heavens can be observed in their stars, suns, and moons, their movements and their turning uh, in their risings and settings. The earth can be observed in what it contains by way of mountains, mineral sources, rivers and seas, animals and plants. And what is between the sky and the earth, that is air in clouds, rainfall, precipitation, thunder, lightning, shooting stars and winds and so forth. So all of those things are perceivable by the senses. These are categories of things that can be witnessed in the heavens, in the earth and in between them. Each category, each of the categories can be divided into types. And each type can be divided into subtypes. Each subtype branches out into classes. And there is no end to these ramifications and subdivisions in accordance with the diversity of their qualities, constitution, and outward and inward significations. Ma'ani. So even if we, if we look at you know, all the way from the highest level down to the micro level. There are so many ways that it can be subdivided. Even in that, it's a wonder, it's a marvel that should increase a person's iman. All of that offers scope for contemplation. Not one atom moves in the heavens or the earth, be it inanimate, vegetable or animal, heavenly sphere or star, but that Allah Most High is its mover. In its movement, there is one aspect of wisdom, or two, or ten, or a thousand. There are multiple, multiple, multiple wisdoms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in that. All of that is a witness to Allah Most High regarding His unicity, His oneness, His tawheed, and evidence of His majesty and sovereign might. And these are also signs that prove the existence of him. The Qur'an encourages mankind to reflect upon these signs. 
as he has said, truly in the creation of the heavens and the earth and the alternation of night and day are signs for those with insight. He has also said, uh, exalted is he in passages from the beginning of the Quran to the end multiple times, and among his signs is, and among his signs are this, and among his signs is, is that, and so forth. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ Okay, so now Imam al-Ghazali, and it's really important for us to uh, think about our own selves. So he says the first thing to start off with is yourself. You're the closest thing to your own self, so begin your reflection there. So he says, one of his signs, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ is the human being, created from a sperm drop. You are yourself the closest thing to you. Within you there are wonders, proving the greatness of Allah Most High. So much so that it would take you an entire lifetime to study one hundredth part of them, though your mind still would not be capable of this. How negligent then are you to be so ignorant of yourself? How then could you aspire to know others? But Allah Most High has commanded you in His noble scripture to reflect upon yourself, saying, And within yourselves are signs. Can you not see them? Can you not see them? How do you see them? Reflection. That's what Imam al-Ghazali is telling us. He has reminded you that you were created from a drop of fluid, saying, Confound man, what an ingrate he is. How, in, how much of an ingrate he is. From what did God create him? He created him and formed him from a drop of seed, then showed him the way, then caused him to die and be buried. Then, when he wishes, subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will restore him to life. So, if you look at and one of the things that the disbelievers do is the resurrection, that's fairy tales. That's ridiculous. Resurrection, there's life after death. Hold on, hold on. Your coming into this world is a miracle. Eat, and, but they say, no, but this is, how, this is what it came from. This is, it's all about uh, uh, cause and effect. No, but this came, and then what came before that? But then came, that became, who was the one who designed all of that? It began from nothingness. Who brought it from nothingness into existence? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the main question. You want to go back infinite regression? That's illogical. That's absurd. There has to be a starting point. Who was the one who willed for that to happen? Who was the one who selected within all of the infinite possibilities that it takes place in that way? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even with that being said, the means by which the outward form of how this all happens is miraculous. And just because we get used to it, we start to think that it's normal. It's a, mir it's a miracle. طيب. Okay, so it came from a lowly fluid. From that lowly fluid, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala formed the entirety of the human being with all of the wonders. And Imam al-Ghazali is going to get into more detail. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought a way out for that baby and then showed him the way to live and so forth. Then that baby dies. Eventually, at some point, the human being will die. So all of that, and you don't think the one who willed all of that to happen can bring him back? He brought him from nothingness in the first place. He can't bring him back? Subhanahu wa ta'ala hasha. Taban, bila shak. Your very existence is a miracle. If you think that a resurrection is absurd, you should think that your, your own existence is absurd to begin with, first and foremost. It's miraculous. Naam. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and one of his signs is that he created you from dust. Then there you are as humans scattered throughout the, word, the earth. Look at how, where human beings have reached. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought that from the, the humble creation of dust. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam and Eve alayhi salam and then multitudes of human beings. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, was he not once a mere drop of sperm dropping, then a soft blood clot, which God created and formed. Who willed for that fluid to form eyes and organs and flesh and bones and a brain and all of this works together wondrously. Who was subhanahu wa ta'ala? Naam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in another verse of the Quran, this is Imam al-Ghazali brings these many, many verses because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions it many times in the Quran. So we're, it's a point where we should reflect. Allah is bringing our attention to this point a multitude of times. Did we not create you from a base fluid which we placed in a safe vessel until a fixed time? And who, who fixed that time, subhanahu wa ta'ala? Who caused that to happen? Imam al-Ghazali is going to go into detail. Uh, and again, we created mankind from a drop and of mixed fluids. He has then described how he made the sperm drop into a blood clot, the blood clot into a lump, and made from the lump bones, saying, we created man from an extract of clay, then we made him a sperm drop in a secure lodging place, then we made that into a blood clot, and so on to the end of the verse. The various stages, and now with modern technology, they're able to uh, witness those stages. 1,400 years ago, the Prophet Muhammad received revelation from the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the Lord of the exalted throne, the one who fashioned and willed and created, and he informed him of this. So as Imam al-Ghazali says, the, begin, the ends of the ignorant person is the beginning of the intelligent person. So he's gonna, people take a really roundabout way to come to clear truth sometimes. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us all. The purpose of the repeated mention of the fluid in the glorious scripture is not for the word to be heard and reflection on its meaning disregarded. Now consider the fluid. It is a drop of dirty liquid, which if left for a moment would be struck by air, decay, and decompose. Look at how the Lord of Lords extracted it from the loins of the human being and how he brought together male and female and placed affection and love in their hearts so that this could manifest. And that how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought one from one and uh, uh, from the other and combined them together through you know, blood and veins and then the baby collects in the womb. After that, consider how Allah created a newborn from this fluid and then gave it from within its mother fluids that nourish it and continue to sustain that, uh, uh, that fetus in the womb so that it grew and increased in size and how he turned that, you know, that, that fluid, uh, even its color begins to change and it forms into flesh and it forms into the human being and how next he divided the different parts of that fluid, each being similar and equal, and from that, a part becomes bones, a part becomes flesh, 
a part becomes nerves, a part becomes muscle, and so on and so forth. And how he ex assembled the external members and how he made the head rounded, piercing it with organs of hearing and eyesight, the nose, the mouth, the mouth and the rest of the orifices. Think about that. How did this particular area become a whole? Did any one of us have a say in that? That this area be, be a whole and this area be a whole and this as well here and our mouths? Could have been somewhere else. Who designed and fashioned that subhanahu wa ta'ala? And in addition to that, filled it with organs that then become the organs for hearing and seeing and speaking and smelling and so forth. And all of this indicates Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's actions and attributes and the wisdom uh, and, and compassion and mercy that he has in creating us. Naam. He then extended the arms and legs, dividing their extremities into fingers and toes and giving these tips nails that then they become, you know, five fingers on each hand, five toes on each foot. With rare exception, there are exceptions. I remember one time as a child, I prayed salah next to a man who had six toes. That's all I could think about in the salah. <laughs> like, does he really have six toes? Over and over again. But that, look at that small exception, and it's so out of the norm. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one time and time and time and time and time again. Till people take it for granted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us these exceptions to know who wills for it to be exactly like that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Naam. La ilaha illallah. Then consider how he assembled the internal members, the organs, the heart, stomach, liver, spleen, lungs, the womb, the bladder, the intestines, every single one of which has a particular shape, size, and function. Look at that. Perfect size. It functions. Yani, uh, once again, with rare exception. And those exceptions help us realize the blessing that the vast majority of us have. Then consider how he divided each of these limbs and organs into parts. He assembled the eye in seven layers, each having a particular description and form. If one of these layers were missing or any of these attributes ceased to be, the eye would be deprived of the power to see. Take one small grain of sand, throw it into the eye. It's over. Yet, day after day, year after year, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us this immense, immense blessing. And if you try to enumerate one blessing, one full blessing from Allah, you would not be able to fully enumerate it. You would not be able to appreciate the full extent of that blessing. And with all of these layers, the sensitivity that it has and how Allah protects us and allows us to experience that subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, were we to go on to describe the marvels and signs in each one of these limbs and organs, whole lifetimes would pass. Now consider bones which are strong and hard, how he created them from a simple fluid then turned them into a structure and support for the whole body, then made them to measure in various shapes and sizes, some small and others large, some long and others round, some hollow and others solid, some wide and others narrow. 
since the human being needs to be capable of moving the entirety of his body or some of his, uh, uh, some of his limbs and requires uh, to come and go in meeting his needs, Allah did not make him a single bone. What if it was all just one movement all the time? Could have been that way. Would have been very difficult to function. But many bones with joints between them to make it easy for them to move about. Yani, this is a miracle. Just moving your hands is a miracle. And look at someone who loses that ability. Then you realize the one who took it from him can take it from me. And the one who gave it to me can give it to him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. But who is that one? It's Allah, tabaraka wa ta'ala. Naam. Next, he linked together their joints, connecting them with ligaments, which he caused to grow at one end of each bone and fastened to the other end of the adjoining bone as the ligament for securing it. After that, he created at one end of the bone protrusions from it and the other end a cavity within it to match the shape of the protrusions so that they could enter it and fit into it precisely. Thus it is that when a servant of Allah wishes to move a part of his body, there is no impediment to him for doing so. Were, but were it not for the joints, that would certainly have been hard for him. But were it not for the joints, that would certainly have been hard for him, if not impossible. The Prophet ﷺ teaches us that every day you wake up, every joint of your bodies, there is a sadaqah. There is a charity that is incumbent upon every single joint. Think about that. This is a blessing. There is gratitude that should be given for every single joint. And the Prophet said, when you pray Salatul Duha, when you pray the prayer after the sun rises and before Salatul Dhuhr, there's a Sunnah prayer called Salatul Duha. When you pray that prayer, you fulfill the charity for every single joint in your body. And you, it's as if you've يعني, conveyed that gratitude. And think about it the Salah has so many movements that we have, that those who have pain in their knees feel it. Those who have pain in their back might feel it, but even that movement is a blessing. So we should take advantage of it, especially when we don't necessarily feel it. And even when we feel it, there's a wisdom in that and a blessing in that. Furthermore, consider how Allah creates the bones of the skull, how he made and assembled its components. He assembled it from 55 bones of varying shapes and forms. And I don't know what modern biology or modern medicine would say about that. That's not the point. If there are certain things that maybe the medicine of Imam al-Ghazali's time and the medicine of our time, there are differences, that's not the point. It's miraculous. 55 bones, however many bones, it's miraculous. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you that. Bringing them together in such a way that the rounded form of the head took shape as you see it. These bones comprise six belonging to the cranium, 14 for the upper jaw, two for the lower jaw. The remaining bones are teeth some of which are broad and suited to grinding, and some sharp and suited to cutting. These are the canines, molars, and middle incisors, incisors. Next, Allah made the neck as the mounting for the head, fashioned it from seven round hollow beads, the vertebrae, in which there are, there are irregularities, protrusions, and gaps to connect them to one another. To describe the aspects of divine wisdom in that would be a lengthy matter. He then assembled the neck upon the spine, 
composing the spine extending between the base of the neck and the extremity of the pelvic uh, bone from 24 discs. He assembled the pelvis from three different parts and connected to the base of it the coccyx, which is also made of three parts. Next, he connected the backbones to the chest bones, to the shoulder bones, the bones of the arms. You know, this is like that game they play as children. The hip bones connected to the... But Imam al-Ghazali is saying that, and, and when we teach it to children, we should teach it in that way. Imagine if science and biology and all of the things that we learn is meant to actually feed their soul and give them that wonder. But rather, it's just empty. What's the point of all this? Just learn it. There's no point. Is to know that every single thing, teach your children from a young age to always say Alhamdulillah. Always say Alhamdulillah. You know, there are people who might not necessarily have this. So you should thank Allah that He gave you that. Whether it's food or whether it's the ability to eat or whether it's health or whatever it may be. That these are all immense blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And look at even the placement of the bones. Personally, I never thought that much about it. The placement of the bones. There are some people who are born and their bones are not the same measurements as the rest of us. And it changes their entire experience. It can be very painful and difficult. Or if they don't connect or if someone dislocates a bone, how does that feel? And all of the pain that that, that uh, a person goes through, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the vast majority of time, He's taking care of us. He's always taking care of us. But we experience it in that way. Naam. So after that, He put in place the thigh bones and those of the lower uh, legs and feet. Uh, we will not prolong this account by discussing the numbers involved in all that. Because it's not important. Consider then how Allah created the whole of that, all of these bones from one pitiful, delicate sperm drop. You know, if we plant a seed, and, 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 and all of these are interconnected signs, you see a seed, whether it's squash or whatever it may be, a tree, the entirety of that tree, the entirety of that plant is in the seed. The seed is tiny. It's very humble. But it's like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala packed it. And really what it, what it is is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who says, kun fayakun. And some grow, some don't grow, some grow funny, some... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the, the one who causes all of that to occur. The point of mentioning the number of bones is not so that we may know how many there are. That is readily accessible information known to physicians and anatomists. The objective is purely that we may continue from reflecting on them to reflecting on Him who planned and created them. This is all leading to witnessing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we reflect on the one who planned and fashioned and created them. How he made them to measure, planned them, made them in varying shapes and sizes, and made them a specific number. For had he added even one more, it would assuredly have been a bane for humanity requiring its removal. And had he even left one out, it would assuredly have been a defect requiring remedial treatment. This is... You know, uh, uh, I know of uh, a scholar whose son was born without uh, a canal for the removal of filth. He was born without that, that canal, the boy. And last time I heard it was something like seven or eight, uh, and this is years ago, seven or eight surgeries just to 
help facilitate that. We're, yani, that, that, that's something that's very uncomfortable to talk about. We all have it. But even just Shaykh Yahya was saying, the blessing. A person would give everything they owned just to get a cup of water when they're about to die of thirst. And then if that was collected inside of them and burning inside of them and causing all kinds of pain and discomfort, they would give everything they have just to remove it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us that. And even the Prophet taught us to praise Allah after that, after the removal of the, the, the extra things that we don't need. Alhamdulillah, ladhi afani. Alhamdulillah, all praise belongs to the one who gave me afia and removed the things that harm me. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, even that requires reflection. Naam. Naam. So then after the bones. Naam. Hence a physician ought to look at, into what treatment might be applied to remedy such a problem. Someone has an extra bone or is missing a bone. And a person of insight should regard this perfectness of the number of bones as a proof of the gloriousness of their creator and shaper. A person should say, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, if I had an extra bone uh, somewhere, it would change everything. If I was missing a bone, it would change everything. Even the bones that we have, if someone's bone breaks, you see how it really impacts their life. So a person you know, who's uh, looking at it purely from a medical perspective will just think about it that way. No, but we need to look at the gloriousness, the majesty, the wisdom, the power of the one who created and fashioned subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, what a vast difference there is between those two perspectives. Next, consider how Allah Most High created the instruments for moving the bones, namely the muscles. He created in the human body 529 muscles. A muscle is composed of flesh and nerves, ligaments and coverings varying in size and shape according to their, their location and power they are re required to have. 24 of them control the movement of the pupil and the lids of the eye. 24. How many of us thought about that? 24 muscles, seven layers, and this tiny little pupil that absorbs all of this light and is a means by witnessing the marvels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. Who fashioned that? Naam. La ilaha illallah. And if a single one of them were lacking, the operation of the eye would be vitiated. It would be void. Likewise, every limb and organ has a specific number of muscles of specific size. Even more wonderful than all of that is the design of the nerves, veins, and arteries, and their number, sources, and ramification. To explain it would take too long. But there is scope for reflection on every single one of these small parts of the body and furthermore on every single one of these limbs and again on the whole body. The whole of that which has just been said was a consideration of the wonders of the body. However, the wonders of the hidden meanings and qualities which are inaccessible to the senses are greater. Now look at the outward and inward aspects of the human being, his body and his inner attributes you will see there, there are enough marvels and workmanship to exhaust every possibility of marveling. And all of that is the handiwork of Allah, glorious and majestic, exercised upon a droplet of lowly fluid. What You can see then whose handiwork that is within a mere droplet of fluid, what then of his handiwork in the realm of the heavens and the stars in them? 
If that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does to a lowly piece of fluid, what does he do to the cosmos and the samawat, the sab'ah, and the heavenly realm, and the, the realm of the spiritual realities, subhanahu wa ta'ala? This is the, one of the lowest things in the lowest dunya. This is not something that is considered, you know, people spend a lot of time talking it. This is the lowest thing in sama' dunya So what about the marvels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation above and beyond? What wisdom of his resigns in the stars and their positions, forms, sizes, and numbers in the conjunction of some and the disjunction of others, the variations in their constellated forms and the disparities between their places of rising and setting. For you must not suppose that there is a single particle in the realm of the heavens that is devoid of, devoid of divine wisdom and manifestations of wisdom. On the contrary, they are more full of wisdom in construction, yet more perfect in craftsmanship, and yet vaster and a yet vaster combination of wonders than the human body. Indeed, there is no comparison between all that the earth contains and the wonders of the heavens. For this reason, Allah has said, "Exalted is He." Are you mightier in your creation or the heaven? He constructed it, raised its vault, then formed it covered over its night and brought forth its daytime. Is it more difficult? And all of these are easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to create. Are you more complicated in your construction or the, the heavens and the galaxies? And anyone who, who is, uh, you know, outside of what is called, you know, scientism, but anyone who is a true person of science and understands will say, what we don't know is far greater than what we do know. We know just a speck. And what's out there, and just even in a physical sense, the limitation of what we know, we don't even know everything that's in the ocean and the seas. Just that little bit, that little sliver compared to what we don't know. So then they, they come to that recognition. But if people think just from this little teeny thing that, that you empirically know, uh, you empirically test, you come up, uh, uh, all these grand conclusions about the Creator subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything that, that uh, is associated with belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the epitome of, of arrogance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that He doesn't allow the arrogant to reflect on His signs because they're veiled. They're veiled. They don't, they don't see with, with, with recognizing uh, uh, the one who has willed all of this subhanahu wa ta'ala and his actions, Jalla Jalalu. Now go back to the, the fluid that you were created from and think about how it was at first and what happened to it secondly. Reflect on this then. If all of mankind and jinn combined to create that, to create out of this little fluid something that has hearing, sight, intelligence, power, knowledge, and a soul, a spirit, a ruh, or even to create within it one bone, vein, nerve, piece of skin or hair, would they be able to do so? Indeed, even if they only wish to know about its essential reality and the nature of its physiognomy, after Allah Most High had created that, they would certainly be powerless to do so. And now, alhamdulillah, there's been leaps and bounds with medical technology, and it's still not the same. Ask anyone who has, you know, uh, a knee replacement that they put in what this very sophisticated engineering and technology and design is it anything like the one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them 
it's 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 a, it's يعني, an alternative because the other one خلاص, that it's gone but this is nothing like what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them even something as simple as a bone that holds things together it's not quite the same so what about hearing knowledge sight uh, uh, consciousness will a soul Blessed is Allah, the best of creators. What is astounding about you, however, is this. If you were to look at a picture of a human being painted on a wall or something that is just this masterpiece that you see uh, to the drawing of which an artist had applied the maximum skill so that it came close to the actual form of a human being. And if the spectator were to say, it's as if it was a real person, you would wonder at the artist's creativity, skill, and manual dexterity, and the perfection of his intelligence. How many people go to museums? Oh, look at, you know, look at the, the what they even have a word for it, like realism. It's a type of art. Oh, look at how real it looks, Mona Lisa, and all that kind of stuff. You're looking at that, and you're totally ignorant of what Allah did to you. That's, a, that's paint. What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do within you? Are you blind to, the, to the, the, the craftsmanship? Are you blind to the masterpiece that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created within you and created within billions like you and other created beings subhanahu wa ta'ala? Naam. There would be an immense admiration for the artist in your heart. And that despite the fact that you are aware that the picture was only produced by means of paint, a pen, a wall, a hand, ability, knowledge, and willpower. Yet nothing at all of that is in reality the action or the creation of the painter. It is part of the creation of another, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most that the artist can be said to have done is bring paint and wall together in a particular configuration. Your wonderment and admiration of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be all the greater when you consider that that lowly fluid had been non-existent before its creator created it. In, within the, 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 the father, within the loins of the father, then extracted it and shaped it, making its shape refined, measured it to the finest measure, formed it in the finest form, divided similar parts of it into different parts, strengthened the bones around its sides, beautified the forms of its members, adorned its outside and inside. He set in order its veins and nerves, making them channels for their nutrition, and so making them the means of survival. He endowed it with powers of hearing, sight, knowledge, and speech. He made for it the spine to form the foundation of the body, the belly to contain the alimentary organs, and the head as the control center, the place that brings it all together, the, the, the headquarters no pun intended, for its senses. Furthermore, Allah caused the eyes to open up and arrange the layers of which they are composed, giving them beauty of form, color, and structure. And he gave them lids to cover, protect, and clean them and to keep foreign bodies away from them. Something comes immediately. Your, uh, your tear ducts begin to excrete. And actually, there's a different tear duct that excretes uh, the liquid uh, to remove a foreign object from the tear duct that's also the tear duct for crying. It's different, if I'm not mistaken. I remember reading that, that there are different tear ducts that have different functions in your eye. Who chose that? 
We have no say in that. We could have been ignorant of that before. But that's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that he keeps it clean. Moreover, he caused to appear within the tiny size of a lens inside them the form of the heavens in the full vastness of their dimensions and the distance between their extremities so that uh, one can behold them. Furthermore, he caused the ears to open up and placed within them a bitter liquid to protect their hearing and keep parasites away from them. He also put twists and turns inside it in order to lengthen the way uh, to keep parasites out and to awaken a sleeping uh, person if any creature tried to enter his ear. Look at all of that mercy. Next, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised the nose above the center of the face, giving it a fine form. And he opened up two nostrils for it. And then he imparted within that the olfactory sense in order that one should be able to tell about one's meals and foodstuffs from their smell. And that generally, things that were attracted to their smell are good for us. And things that are foul, once food goes bad, you can smell it. Someone didn't smell it, they might, they might drink that milk that's gone bad. Oh, oh I sh I'm not even going to put that in my mouth because it could harm me. That's a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then it's also related to a, a, a very important aspect of spirituality, this attraction to beauty and beautiful smells. Naam. Uh, he imparted to it the olfactory sense, naam, so that one should be able to tell about one's meals and foodstuffs and is able to breathe fresh air through them as food for one's heart and to relieve one's inward heat. Now they're saying, if you get stressed out, breathe deep breaths. And that'll slow down your heart rate. And it's good for you. Imam al-Ghazali mentioned that. And it's connected to that spiritual reality as well. Who caused that to happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's so much more. <laughs> There's so much more. <laughs> MashaAllah. Uh, he also opened up the mouth, placing inside it the tongue to speak and to interpret and articulate whatever is in the heart. That's a miracle. Meaning, meaning, think about that, is that we could have been, just like if you hear like a cat meow or a dog bark, it's, it makes no sense. We could have been that way with each other, that there's no meaning that reaches from one person, or even we see with other human beings, different languages, that's a sign. It's like, I know you're saying something full of meaning. You know, someone might be singing a, a knot or something, and the person next to you, I don't understand Urdu, but the person is Allah, subhanAllah. And you're like, mashallah, I'm sure it's beautiful, sounds beautiful, but I, it's like totally different. But that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who created this ability to speak. And not only that, but this connects back to the ears, that the ear is able to receive what is essentially sounds, these disjointed sounds that when they come together, they form a meaning and you're able to process that, and it can touch your heart, and it can transform you, and it can be a source of guidance, and it can also be uh, powerful in negative ways as well. That's a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's a, it's a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He adorned the mouth with teeth to act as instruments for grinding, breaking, and cutting, provided them with firm roots, roots and sharp edges. Furthermore, he created the lips, giving them beauty of color and form to fit over the mouth and close off the orifice and also to help some letters be pronounced in speaking. The lovers of Tajweed appreciate that. 
He created the throat, equipping it to produce sounds and created in the tongue the power to make movements and disjunctions in order for sounds to emanate from various different points so as to differentiate between letters. Then Allah adorned the head with hairs and uh, with the temples and adorned the face with uh, the beard and eyebrows. The, na'am, he adorned the eyebrows with fine hairs and an arched shape and he adorned the eyes with lashes. Then Allah created the internal organs employing each one for a specific task. And then he starts talking about the spleen, the gallbladder, the kidney, and how they draw you know, uh, uh, unclean things out of the body and harmful things out of the body and so forth. Then Allah created the hands and arms, making them long enough to be extendable for any purposes. He made the palms of the hands broad and divided the part extending beyond the palm into five fingers, divided each of the four fingers into three joints and set the forefingers on one side and the thumb on another so that the thumb, the thumb could reach around them. Had the first and the last generations of mankind combined their efforts in detailed consideration to devise an alternative arrangement for the fingers other than that whereby the thumb is at a distance from the forefingers and the latter are at differing lengths. Even that there's a hikmah. There's a, a wisdom and practical benefit in the fingers being different lengths. They're not four fingers that are a block that there's different, different things that they can do and some that are flexible in different kinds of ways. Subhanallah. Uh, and all of that is out of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he says, and then uh, with that, in addition to that, the hand is enabled to grasp and give. And if one extends it, it has a surface upon which to place whatever one wishes. And if one compacts it, it is an instrument with which to strike. And if one partially bends it, one has a cup. And if one uh, uh, extends it and bends the fingers, one has a scoop. All of these things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Then Allah created nails at the tips of the fingers to beautify them and as a support behind them to prevent them from being accidentally cut and in order to cut up fine things with, it, with which the fingertips could not deal with, that you're actually able to cut at things. If you try to do that with the fleshy part of your finger, try to do that. You want to to take off a little piece or you want to cut off something. But the nails help you do that. SubhanAllah. So were it not for the nails, which are the coarsest part of the body, if one were to develop an itch, he would be the most feeble and helpless creature. Imagine rubbing an itch with, <laughs> without the nails. It would be so uncomfortable. Naam. Then he guided the hand to the place that itches so that it could reach out to it even during sleep or unconsciously without any need to be asked. If one had to seek someone else's help, they would not be able to locate the itch except after prolonged exertion. No, no, a little bit left. No, no, higher, a little bit to the right. But they say, ma haka, Allah You know, there's nothing like scratching your own back with your, with your own fingers. In other words, you know how to, uh, the best person to solve your own problems is yourself. Once again, remember that Allah created all of this from a, from a, from a fluid which is then kept inside the womb in three veils of darkness, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an. If the covering and wrapping could be removed and the eyesight could extend into it, then one could see the designing and formation appearing in it, which we can now see today. One thing after another, yet one would not see the form giver or any tools. Does Allah subhanahu, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does that. The painter who paints this masterpiece has to use tools and, and so forth, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his tools are his power, Jalla Jalalu. Invisible. You don't need to see it, yet it happens. It's amazing. One should not, one should always see that as a miracle. Have you ever seen anyone who shapes things or does anything without touching his tools or his work or even being in contact with them while working on them? Incomparably glorious is he. How mighty is his glory. How manifest his evidence. Then consider the perfection of Allah's omnipotence together with the completeness of his compassion. How when the womb becomes constrictive for the unborn child as it grows, he guides it to a way to turn and move about and to emerge from that constriction, to seek a way through as though it possessed the intelligence and the insight to realize what it needs. Next, consider how after the infant has emerged and is in need of nutrition, Allah guides it to feed at the mother's breast. And because its body is feeble and cannot endure dense food, how he takes care of it by creating delicate milk. He causes it to emerge pure and delicate from between filth and blood, as Allah says in the Quran. And he created the, the, the mother's organs from, and, and allowed milk to come from them, forming in the nipple in the amount and the size that the child needs and fits its mouth. And then with all of that being said, small passageways for the milk to come through in the exact amount that the child needs. And now even people try to make you know, alternatives to that. And they make, you know, uh, and some people need it. So it's understandable that they try to make a uh, formula for babies and so forth. And for those who need it, it makes sense. But even still, I remember in the hospital when my children were born, said milk is liquid gold. There's no replacement for it. And that now they've even discovered that if the child is feeling a particular way, the saliva in the baby's mouth sends messages through the mother's uh, nipple all the way, and then the body begins to produce what the baby needs in order for that deficiency. So even the milk is constantly changing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the milk on day one and the milk on day three is not the same. And in month one and in month six is not the same. And I remember we were doing a class and we were with some non-Muslims about you know childbirth and so forth. And the lady said, do you know what the World Health Organization says that the amount of time that you should nurse a baby is? My wife and I, we already knew the best time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran. And everyone's like six months. Whatever people answers came up. She said two years. Said the World Health Organization, whether they read in the Quran, they should be. Naam. So look at all of these miracles. Again, he opened uh, uh, this and brought the, 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 the food for the child. Next, consider Allah's tenderness and compassion. How he postponed the creation of the teeth. And how when the child is at the age that it needs solid foods, its teeth grow. And that's how you know. And that entire time, it has everything it needs. And how some babies are fatter just from their mother's milk than from actual fatty foods. SubhanAllah. Naam. So look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fashions everything in its particular time with its particular way. And then Imam al-Ghazali talks about how Allah creates compassion in the parents' hearts so that they wake up and they take care of this child that cannot take care of itself. And then how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides this child and every human being with discernment, with capabilities, with intelligence, with guidance, all in various degrees that continue to develop over time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that in the Qur'an. Naam, that we created the human being from this fluid. 
and put him to the test and made him able to see and hear. Truly, we have guided him towards the way, whether he be thankful or thankless. So the way of gratitude, the way of discernment, the way of recognizing where all this com comes from. So Imam al-Ghazali says, look at the kindness and generosity and furthermore, the omnipotent power and wisdom and you will be dazzled by the marvels of the divine presence. So he says, Naam. You know, how can a person see this, the work of this artist or, or this calligrapher and be marveled and miss out on the glory of his own maker and fashioner who shaped him and is, uh, uh, fails to be astonished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Imam al-Ghazali says, all this is merely a small part of the wonders of your body. These cannot be dismissed as something re remote. They offer the nearest scope available for you to reflect upon the clearest evidence of the magnificence of your creator. Now, so he says, uh, uh, do not be like the animals. The animals see these signs and they don't reflect on it. But this is very important. This is the, this is the, the, the final point, okay? He says, the special privilege of human beings from which the animal kingdom does not have access to is gaining knowledge, is gaining ma'rifah, is gaining knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by observing the domain of the heavens and the earth and the wonders on the horizons and within our own selves and our own souls. This is how uh, a servant may enter into the company of the angels of proximity and be resurrected in the company of the prophets and the siddiqeen and be brought near to the presence of the Lord of the universe. Now, now that you're capable to do that, Bismillah. Bismillah. And then he gives us that last bit. What's the purpose of your life? Who do you want to be? What do you want to achieve? And that's why you had Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu, his ibadah during the day, he would sit in the corner of his room and he would reflect. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open up these doors of reflection for us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us reflection that brings illumination and insight and nearness to him and uh, allows us to ascend in the degrees of ma'rifah through his generosity and mercy. Allahumma la tahrimna khayr ma'indaka li sharri ma'indana ya arhamar rahimin wa sallallahu ta'ala ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.